Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, everybody. It's Monday. The Wise-Ass Show, episode three, is on now. We've got one of the great wise-asses of all time. In fact, you may call him a wise guy. Frank Isola of The Athletic, Sirius XM, ESPN. I mean, probably your local dry cleaner, too. I have no idea. Take it away, Darlene. The Wise-Ass Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Wise Ass Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And oh yeah, he wrote about the NBA for the New York Times, Washington Post and ESPN. He's also a wise ass and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? You're listening to The Wise Ass Show. The Wise Ass Show is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media. Our shows will always offer perspective, insight from brilliant people like Frank Isola, and deep knowledge of the sport. Our three weekly podcasts will explore hoops from many angles. In addition to this show, The Wise-Ass Show with me, Mike Wise. We also present Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozloff and Adam Stanko, which drops every Wednesday. Our Friday show is the Pure Hoops podcast with Bulls legend and player agent BJ Armstrong and his partner, Eric Newman. We hope you'll check out all of our shows. We think you'll like them. Please subscribe, download, rate them, and tell your friends. They'll thank you, and so will we. Welcome to show number three, The Wise-Ass Show. Um, and look, I, I could not have asked for a better guest, only because I know him. And look, I, Frank, Frank Isola, welcome to the program, first of all. Better, a better guest. People are expecting you know, LeBron James or Kobe Bryant. Or maybe I don't know Joel Embiid. I, uh, yeah, I know. You better, be- you better get a better guest than me eventually. Put it that way. Well, let, well, let's let's say this. I don't. All the people I've had on so far, Jamal Crawford, Garrett Temple, great guests and all. None of them have got into a Twitter beef with uh, Wheezy, Lil Wayne. Uh, <laughs> I, I could not believe this. And and Frank, uh, like Frank's like as old as he is contemporary. He listens to music. If you don't know him. He's, he's a longtime writer at the New York Daily News, covered the Knicks. Shoot, going back to 94 when uh, when he and I were on the beat together. I was at the New York Times. He's at the New York Daily News. The last few months, he signed with The Athletic, uh, covering the Knicks and the NBA. So all I got to say is, uh, how does someone that's covered the NBA for 30 years get into a beef with one of the top hip-hop artists of all time? <laughs> well, my Twitter beefs so far have been with, um, the guy that played McLovin in that movie, uh, what was that? What was it called? Super bad. I got into it with him, and now I got into it with Little Wayne. I'm going after the big uh, tough guys. But the Little Wayne thing started because he was on ESPN uh, being interviewed with Odell. Well, Odell Beckham was being interviewed. And he was kind of sitting there with him as like his. He almost looked like he was his uh, young kid or something like that. So on around the horn a show that I know that you watch every day at five o'clock on ESPN. Yeah. Dedicated. I, we were talking about it. And all I said was, you know, 
how does Odell Beckham expect to be taken seriously when he's doing an interview with Little Wayne sitting next to him? Now I get it. I think Little Wayne said, how should he be taken seriously? I really wasn't saying that. I was saying that how can Odell Beckham be taken seriously when he needs to bring, you know, like a, a prop with him to an interview and start killing the, you know, killing the Giants. And Little Wayne's just sitting there nodding his head to everything that Odell Beckham said. You know, he's nodding in agreement. The funny thing was, what I loved about Little Wayne was that what he said about me was, you know, keep my name out your mouth. He goes, yeah, I know you, Frank. You're an Italian guy from New York. I always think that, like, a lot of people that live, like, 150 miles outside of the New York area <laughs> all think that anybody with an Italian last name is probably somehow mob-connected. So to me, I felt like Lil Wayne was just hedging it a little bit. He didn't want to go over, but I think part of him was thinking, maybe this guy is somehow connected. So well, I do want to go back at him, but I'm going to go back at him I'm going to be polite, so to speak, in my comeback. <laughs> well, well, now I feel guilty because, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I, you know, all of a sudden I see a, like I have my whole career, I jump on your um, coattails. I tweeted Little Wayne saying, um, he's he's mob connected. You don't want anything to do with him. And and if you think you're bad, come come roll up in our neighborhood. I mean, he never, <laughs> said, he never said anything back. I think he thinks you're, I think he thinks you're La Cosa Nostra. Well, to be fair, you know, New York could be a pretty rough area, but I'm sure Little Wayne probably, he's from New Orleans. I'm sure he has uh, New Orleans in his hip pocket. So I'm going to be careful the next time I go to New Orleans. I might wear a fake mustache and uh, glasses to make sure that yep. nobody knows me. But, I, yep. you know, when it was it was fun. I was surprised that he came after me. Like I said, I do understand why he would be upset. And if I said no one should take Little Wayne seriously, I didn't say that. Not that I care that he's mad at me. And probably in the long run, it was probably good for me that he said it. But yeah. I didn't say that Little Wayne shouldn't be taken seriously. I said Odell Beckham shouldn't be taken seriously because he's doing an interview where he's criticizing his team, the organization, and he's bringing like a buddy along. It's, it just looks bizarre, the whole thing. No, I think it's great. It's like, you know how people like you've got a bunch of Twitter followers and and the Nick fans um, harangue you. And the, the one guy you punch back at he basically looks at like, hey, Frank Isola just called me an a-hole. I'm like, I'm like important now. I think that that's good for us. We we go, we punch higher for our Q ratings. I once just tweeted at The Rock until he basically told me he was going to disembowel me. And it was like the best part of my day. It was sick, but it, I, you know, <laughs> I felt famous. Um, well, it's weird, with the, it's weird with the Twitter engagement because I do respond to a lot of Nick fans, especially the ones who get like a little nasty. I try to explain my position. You, I would say eight times out of ten, it ends uh, pretty cordially. But I don't like doing it on Twitter for everyone to see because when you look at somebody's timeline, like after a while, it gets too confusing. So I figure the engagement person to person is a little bit better. And now, of course, a lot of the engagement has to do with the fact that the Knicks are 10 and 37, and all the Knicks fans think it's great because, as you know, you get into the lottery, that means automatically you're going to get good. Just look at how it's worked out for the Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento <laughs> Kings, the Atlanta Magic. Look how good it's worked out for the Knicks. The Knicks have eight former lottery picks on your team. So what does That's that tell correct. you? That having a lottery pick doesn't mean anything. Yes, if you pick high in the draft, you have the pick of the litter on 100%. But it's not about well, – it's about who you pick, not necessarily yeah. where you pick all the time. Uh, I also think too, where, where where you know Washington NFL fans same way they remember the glory days. So somewhere in some you know if you're not 28 or 35, you're over 40. Somewhere in some warped Nick fans' mind, they think the lottery means 1985 and Patrick Ewing, and it's not like yeah. that anymore. 
No, it's not, especially with guys coming out after one year. And I understand all the excitement around a, a, a guy like Zion Williamson. But, you know, if you go back to the year that the Knicks drafted Przingis, so Carl yeah. Anthony Towns looked like he was going to be kind of the consensus number one. And then you had, you know, Jalil Okafor and you had uh, D'Angelo Russell. People talked about them. But the guy that really made a big impact kind of in the spring was Justice Winslow because he had the great Final Four, the semifinal game. He played very well in the finals. So Nick fans were basically like, this is the guy we have to take because every Nick fan watches two college basketball games a year, the national semifinals and the championship game, and they've determined that Justice Winslow is the end-all be-all. Now, he's a solid NBA player, but when the Knicks took Kristaps Porzingis, the Nick fan acted like they had been scouting over in Europe for the last, you know, six months. And that's why they booed the pick because they don't know. You know, and, and I'm not saying they should know, but don't always think that the, the draft lottery is the secret to success. Like I said, the Knicks have eight former lottery picks on their team right now. And one of those picks, Frank, was Frank Nittlekina, right? Yeah, he was, but he was a draft pick. It's a weird situation because the poor kid gets drafted, you know, as a 19-year-old out of France, yeah. and he's picked by Phil Jackson. And within 10 days, Phil Jackson is out as team president. So you're Frank Nittlekina. And you come into a situation where the guy that drafted you is out. Now, Steve Mills was part of that regime. But it, it does seem like ever since Nilakina has been here, he really hasn't been given much of an opportunity. Plus, it seems like the Knicks are always trying to bring someone in to replace him. You know, they signed Trey Burke out of the G League. They traded for Emmanuel Moutier. So it's, it's almost like they really haven't given this kid a chance. Yeah, and Kurt Rambis, I think, said Nilakina had a great hoop IQ. I mean, he really, he really yeah, understood I, yeah, the game. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how big, you know, I don't think he's a big-time athlete, but he definitely, like a lot of European players, especially growing up playing soccer, he has very good vision. He sees, uh, he reads the game very well. He needs to become a lot more consistent with his jump shot, but he's a pretty solid defensive player. But it's like anything, you know, you draft, you know, when you draft a kid at a 19, at 19, what are you expecting? Not everyone is LeBron James. You know, not everyone is Magic Johnson going to come into the league and set the world on fire. You know, especially a point guard having to learn a new league, a new culture, you know, adjust to the language, even though he does speak some English. I mean, that's that's a tough thing. And then throw on top of it the fact that the guy that drafted him got fired within two weeks, yeah. and all the Knicks have done since he got there was they tried to replace the poor guy. Well, I, I have a lot in common with Franklin Nittlekina because I can identify with him because Jason Whitlock drafted me to ESPN, and lo and behold, <laughs> he he got his he got his ass fired, and I was nowhere to be found. You didn't even see me until yeah, Bruce Burns they, Bruce Bernstein basically they, from Pure Hopes Media rescued me and put me on TV to make me famous again. It was crazy. It was wrong. Well, I, I'm still bitter about it. Well, first of all, they gave you your chance. More, you got more of a chance than Frank did. And Bruce is a tremendous guy who will never return my calls. Every time I call him, I can't get him to call me back. So I, I got a bit of an issue with him. <laughs> All right. We are talking with Frank Isola. I, I want to ask questions to him as if I don't know him. Uh, I, I can't lie, and I'll be very transparent. He's probably my oldest and dearest friend in the business at this point. And uh, I mean that sincerely. I moved to New York in 1994 from the hayseed capital of uh, Sacramento, wherever I was in, in the sticks. I didn't know anything about New York. I'd been there once. And Frank literally took me under his wing. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten at his house and his family's house. I, I knew both of his parents, God rest their souls. And you know what? I know his wife, Danya, his kids. I could go into personal stories, but people don't want that. They want basketball. 
Frank, however, does not think of me as one of his best friends. He just thinks of me as some loser that he took under his wing in California. And now he just wants he basically throws me pennies from his from his pedestal and around the horn. But um, my, my, Mike's the kind of guy that comes into your house, you know, after like, you know, a couple of seconds of hello and, you know, the greetings and everything. heads right for the kitchen, opens up the refrigerator and starts looking for things to eat. It starts eating cold Chinese food. Oh, there's a reason I, I, they invented uh, microwave ovens. You you just cut out the microwave oven, go right for the cold Chinese food. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, Tanya, his wife is beautiful. She keeps a clean house. She she loves me, but she hates me. Anyway, all right. So I'm going to ask you questions like I don't even know you, and 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 I think people will be more um, blown away by your knowledge here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go for some current stuff here. Boogie Cousins. I mean, he seems to be fitting in well. Um, is he just at Golden State just for the championship? And if he gets it, uh, it'll be the key to him getting a big deal somewhere other than Golden State? Or is this a genuine investment in his future? Well, I think for the Warriors, you know, it's it's always going to be an option depending on what might happen with Kevin Durant. You know, I'm sure for them, DeMarcus Cousins could be a plan B. But But it's a great situation. You know, they got him for only $5 million. And, you know, the Warriors are now, you know, seen as this first-rate organization – with great players who, you know, they were all for it. And you bring in a guy like DeMarcus Cousins at the bargain basement rate of $5 million, in a lot of ways, it's risk-free because, number one, he has to prove that he can stay healthy, and then he has to prove that he could fit in because they've won without him. In fact, they've won three times without him. So it's up to DeMarcus Cousins to kind of fit in. I'm surprised at how much he's played so far. He's done very well. And now when you watch them play, you're like, man, if you're not going to double team DeMarcus Cousins, he's going to overwhelm guys. And if you do double team him, you're surrounded by all that shooting. And last week they played the Lakers. And I couldn't help but think about, you know, LeBron wasn't playing in the game. Rondo was out. But, you know, we always thought of the Lakers being the team with all the big stars. You know, here's the Lakers out there with Josh Hart and, you know, Brandon Ingram. Then you even got guys like Michael Beasley and Lance Stevenson. And the Warriors are trotting out there that starting five which, you know, all five of them have been all-stars before. They're the team now with all the big names and all the big superstars. Someone told me that the Warriors starting five, Frank, is like the, the all, you know, former all-stars. The first time that's happened since the 76 Celtics. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I and know. It's, and, and, and the amazing thing about it is, you know, on any night, like you see what Curry did, uh, did last night, to um, Saturday night to Boston, and Durant, and then, you know, Clay Thompson's had some of these remarkable games where he scored, you know, 44 points in 27 minutes. He scored 40, he scored 52 points in 27 minutes. He had a game against the Knicks where he took four dribbles the entire game and scored, oh. I think it was 42 points. I mean, it's, they just have, they have so much uh, talent, offensive firepower, and, you know, you think you're going to slow down one guy, but they have so much now, especially with Cousins in the mix. I have not seen an economy of movement when you're talking about Clay Thompson and that I, I saw every shot he made, he took four dribbles. I've never seen an economy of movement since you played in the New York Media Basketball League with the Daily News <laughs> in two, in 1999. I mean, you were pretty good. You uh, didn't dribble a lot. You moved the ball. Um, oh, but that's but that, you that's, know, that's that so that's that soccer way of playing basketball. You know what kills me about Clay Thompson? I yeah. love Clay Thompson, and then you know I'm pretty insecure. So when I was out there and. October, and he said he likes watching me on TV. Then all of a sudden, he's now my favorite player in the league. The media, sure. you know, the media has a vote for all star. 
it's weighted, obviously. I think the media makes up 25%. The players make up 25%. And the fans make up uh, 50% of the vote. In the fan, in the media ranking, we ranked all the votes that Clay Thompson got. He finished fourth among Western Conference guards, which sounds about right. I mean, Harden, Curry, then you, know, you want to put Westbrook or Damian Lillard in there ahead of Clay Thompson. All right, I understand that. The players had Clay Thompson 11th. How are there 10 guards? In the Western Conference, better than Clay Thompson. They had Dev, the players ranked Devin Booker ahead of him, Mike Conley. And that, listen, I think they're both very good players, but come on. Drew, Drew Holiday, you're ranking these guys ahead of Clay Thompson? I find that hard to believe. They don't like the biracial brothers. You know it, and I know it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but like, no, I wonder, no, I'm not talking about race, but like, but seriously, I talked to Steph Curry about this um, a couple years ago. I said, do you think. Just because of um, your sort of two-parent background, you're obviously the media loves you, and the media is mostly white stream main uh, mainstream white media. It just is. That's just how how we work in the society, and it's hopefully it changes and it changes quicker than uh, quicker than later. But but do you think that because you're you're so well liked, there's almost a backlash against you amongst players in the league who didn't come from such uh, such good backgrounds and Clay Thompson, the same respect and Steph Curry, not. And he goes, I mean, you don't want to go there, but you got to think that's a little part of it. I, t- I completely yeah, agree I, with them. Yeah. And I would think that probably the resentment is probably like a little overblown, but I do think some of it probably stems from the fact that, you know, they both grew up basically with a silver spoon in their mouth. They were the sons of NBA players. So they had access to things at a young age that, you know, a lot of guys in the NBA didn't have. I mean, we've seen video of Steph Curry, shooting at different NBA arenas with his dad there. And, but you know, uh, you know now, go ahead, I cut Same you off. thing with Michael Thompson. I would say one of the most more important things is, is that he had his father with him. He had both parents, and I'm sure, you know, they do have a very similar background. And what I find interesting, too, is look at the way that they conduct themselves when it, in terms of the idea of I need to be the man, and, you know, I gotta be, it's got to be my team, all this nonsense. I mean, look at Thon Baker, the kid – on the Milwaukee Bucks, who's an okay player. Your team is in first place. The guy's coming out saying he wants to be traded because he wants a bigger role. So I'll tell you what, now that you've said that, don't ever come out and give me the Jimmy Butler, all I care about is winning. All I want to do is win. Stop. You're on the best team in the Eastern Conference, and you picked this point to talk about your role. Why don't you put one and one together? Maybe the fact that they have a winning record is because your role is limited. Did you ever think of that? Boom shakalaka. Frankie Ice goes to the hole <laughs> on Sirius XM shake, Radio. Shake, shake, shake your thon maker, as I always say. <laughs> Full stop. Uh, hey, that was no. You're you're completely right, and that stuff bothers me because, you know, when all is said and done, people remember the great teams they were on and the relationships they made. They don't remember and, like and, being and the man the every day. And that's the thing about Curry and Thompson. They're the ones yeah. that are allowing this to continue because. Kevin Durant comes in. You want to be the two-time Finals MVP? That's great. That's more championships for us now that DeMarcus Cousins is there. You never hear this nonsense. I need to be the number one guy. I need to go somewhere where I could be the number one guy. Jeff Van Gundy had a great line one day on TV this season about the Warriors. You know, when all this stuff, it, this was probably a couple weeks after Durant and Draymond Green mixed it up a little bit out in, uh, out in L.A. He said, don't ever get tired of winning. And that's really what, like, this mm. is something we may, you, you, you might not see in the NBA for another 30 years. Like, why not just ride it out? Because 10 years from now, less people are going to care. Well, Kevin Durant left a very good team in Oklahoma City to join the Warriors. He had to join a great team to win. 
20 years from now, less people, 30 years, no one's going to really give a, yeah. a, a heck about it. Yeah, after it's going to have they, all those titles. That's all that matters. Uh, after no one, no one's going to give a shit about it. I can say that because it's a podcast. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, I'm but not serious. I, I don't curse though. Yeah. All right. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is, I, I think you're onto something here. The the Warriors are going to, and I'll say it right here. The Warriors are going to win their fourth title in five years. Uh, something that hasn't been done. God bless Michael Jordan. God bless Shaq, Kobe. All the players we covered in our uh, in our primes as writers and their primes as players. I that this hasn't been done since Russell's Celtics. I think that says something on so many levels. And yeah, my thing is whether you're Kevin Durant, whether whoever you are on that team, um, if unless you're the guy that needs to get paid in the next four years, and you want to make sure your kids and your kids' kids never have to work. I think you stick around. And so that that's just me. I mean, people are talking about Bradley Beal leaving the Wizards in two years. I could understand that if he doesn't think he's going to the next level and he's not going to be in the NBA finals in two years. Um, if you're if you're if you're Clay, Steph, Kevin Durant, shoot, even Draymond, why? <laughs> Makes no sense. No, it, it 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 doesn't make any sense. But I would also say this. You know, I think today's player is a lot different than the player from, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And after what happened in recent years with, you know, Kyrie asking to be traded from the Cavs, Kawhi Leonard not wanting to be back with the San Antonio Spurs, Kevin Durant going to Oklahoma City, Paul George staying in Oklahoma City, you know, LeBron leaving to go to Miami, leaving Miami to go to Cleveland, leaving Cleveland to go to L.A. At this stage, you, you can't say that anything that happens will surprise you. I mean, even Kyrie Irving you know, going to L.A. to play with LeBron at this point wouldn't even surprise me because I think that those days are kind of like over. The players are just a little bit different now. You know, and in the case of Kawhi, a bit aloof, and you're already hearing that Kawhi is going to be gone and all this other stuff. Well, listen, we heard last year that it was a lock that Paul George was going to go to the Lakers, and he ended up resigning with Oklahoma City. So yeah. I think it all depends on how the how a season ends for a team, and I think a lot of it depends on how the player is feeling that week when he, when it comes time to make his choice where he wants to play. That was dope. You're listening to The Wise-Ass Show. Time for a word from Pure Hoops Media. The Wise-Ass Show, this show, is just one of three shows from Pure Hoops Media each week. Make sure to check out the Pure Hoops podcast with Chicago Bulls legend and current player agent B.J. Armstrong, along with co-host Eric Newman. Their shows drop every Friday. And every Wednesday, we present Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. You can check out both shows right after you've done listening to Frankie Ice and me. Check out all three each week wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe, download, and rate us. I'm going to go some lightning round with Frank Isola in a little bit, in a couple minutes. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to go to. I'm going to take Frank down memory lane in a couple minutes. First, I want to go some lightning round with him. We are talking to Frank Isola of the Athletic now. What is your exact title, really quick, with the Athletic? I know they paid you gobs of money, and and yeah, right. and, and, it's, and you've got and you got the around the horn deal. And I see you subbing with Kornheiser and Wilbon, two of my really good friends in the business, um, on PTI occasionally. Uh, you, you, you've, you've, you've got more gigs now than we work together. At least your kids are out of the house. So, so that's good. You, you don't, you don't have to, you're, you don't have to be a lousy father. You've always been a great dad, but, but my thing is this, how do you even find time for all this stuff? Yeah, it's been, it's been a real crazy, like last three years, cause I've really been handling like three jobs 
but like I basically haven't gone on vacation. You know, I don't really have that much of a life outside of it. I haven't really gone on vacation that much. But you know, I'm it grinding. Shows, it as shows player, on TV. As it really players, shows. As, as the players like to say, I'm grinding. Hashtag grinding. As they're like you know working out for an hour in the summertime. No, it's it's fun though. I mean, you know, I got to pay two college tuitions, so uh, I just have my head down. But it's I enjoy it. It's fun. The radio show never really gets in the way because that's you know that's seven to ten in the morning. So I never was a person that could wake up. So that's the thing that probably surprised me the most. You know, I mean, I think I've been doing it now for five years, so I get up early every morning. But that's I I, I will say this: when you're on a beat, and you know what it was like, you know you. You make the mistake of going out after the game, whether it's get something to drink, something to eat. You're going to bed late. And unless you were waking up for a flight early, you know, you were sleeping till like 10 o'clock. It's getting up early. It's, it actually feels a lot better. So I'm glad that that part of my life has kind of been adjusted. And the TV, I did, I think, 138 ESPN shows last year, which, which is a lot. They, they've been great. To 138. Me, you know. And a lot of times yeah. you were coming down to Washington, too, to do those yeah. shows. And yet, and I never yeah. even heard from you. But hey, that's cool. You know, you you go big time, and I'll, I'll sit in my my house and the, torch every chance. The one the one th- the one thing the one word for me that ESPN has never heard me say is no. <laughs> anytime, <laughs> anytime they anytime they ask me about doing something, they don't even get it out of their mouth that I say yes, which has been yeah. good for me because then they know they could kind of rely on me to fill in for people. Sure. You know, like I've uh, you know last year, I mean, I did uh, PTI. I think maybe thirty times I filled in. And then on Dan Lebertard's show, you know, they have a list of like, I think maybe 10 people. And when they get to the end of that, that 10th person, they then call those people back and see if they'll do it. And if no. then once all of them say no, then they come to me. And going down there is nice because you get to, you know, you're in Miami, obviously, you stay on South Beach. And doing the show with, you know, Dan's father, it's, it's terrific because he's such a nice guy. Plus, he spent a lot of time in the New York, New Jersey area. So we kind of have like uh, that connection. It's, he's a lot of fun to talk. He makes it very enjoyable. Yeah, I you know, look, having spent three glorious years at the Worldwide Leader, I can tell you ESPN doesn't ask, they tell. <laughs> you, you yeah, but I'm not you, a full-time employee. I'm not a full-time employee, so they they ask me. And they know true. and they they ask me out of courtesy even though they know the answer is every single time is going to be yeah. yes. Yeah, I, I I so wanted to hate Frank Isola's uh, uh, serious um, XM NBA radio show because I did radio for three and a half years and uh, I sometimes was good at it, sometimes I was lousy, and I so wanted to hate Veal Scalabrini because um, I just thought you needed a more big time player, and I had no idea how good he was. I mean, he is going to go into the Big Three Hall of Fame. Um, this three on three thing, he's really got it. I heard he played in the NBA at some point, but the three on three thing is monstrous. He is great. I see him. Um, look, no, but you got, well, you guys well, do see well, go ahead. But, but you know, for him, like he doesn't, there's not a day that he, he doesn't do anything unless he's getting paid for it. And he, and he's a, you talk about hustling. I mean, he showed yeah. up at this big Chinese restaurant. I think it's called Kowloon up in, uh, outside of Boston. He showed up there for a personal appearance, like right before Christmas. I mean, he will basically do anything. But the one thing about him, you know, if you think about it, he played uh, for the Nets when they had Jason Kidd and Kenny Martin, and they went to two finals. Then he goes to Boston. He's on a terrible Celtic team. But then they bring in, you know, Garnett, Ray Allen. Paul Pierce was already there. They end up going to two finals. They win a championship. Then he goes to Chicago, and he ends up playing with the youngest MVP in the history of the league. In Derrick Rose, that team, I think, won 63 games. He then goes into coaching. I think it was either one or two years that he did it. But he ends up on the Warriors, and he's coaching with uh, Steph Curry, 
Clay Thompson. He was the first, you know, he, the guy that he worked with at first was Draymond Green. He was the one who was advocating Draymond Green needs to start because he's that, he's that good of a player. So, you know, even though he wasn't, you know, he's not going to go to the Hall of Fame as a player, he's had some unbelievable NBA experiences, and he knows a lot of people. And the fact that he does the Celtic games, listen, he's waving those Celtic pom-poms, which, which I understand, but, you know, he's definitely connected to the league, and he has the right mix of basketball knowledge. He doesn't really talk down to people, maybe to me once in a while, and he doesn't take himself too seriously, which makes which makes him perfect for radio. I didn't know that about him. <laughs> oh my god! But no, but uh, but uh, the so so Brian, uh, I love the fact that he'll literally make money anywhere he goes. He doesn't go anywhere not for money. And I love him. I think you guys have a great chemistry. My only problem with him whatsoever. And I know my guys that are part of the uh, co-partners here in the business, Bruce Bernstein and Eric Newman, they're huge Boston Celtics fans. I think Scalabrini, I think Brian is is Tommy Heinz in the next generation. He'll defend anything about the Celtics. Like it, it, it literally, if 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 Jalen Brown, I mean, or not Jalen Brown, but I'm saying if um, shoot, if if Gordon Hayward. Um, went out and and you know robbed the 7-Eleven. He basically said, "Hey, the guy was hungry. The guy was hungry. You're going to suspend him for that. You're going to suspend him. I mean, he's out, he's out of control. He he that's, backs that's, up the Celtics no matter what." That's nice, poor Gordon Hayward. You got him being arrested for robbing a, a convenience store. We know, but it's funny because Tommy Heinsohn does the home games, so Brian is in the studio for the home games, and he does all the road games. So, you know, so we do a thing where we play. You know, I like listening to Tommy Heinsohn and. The one thing about it is in New York, where you have, uh, you know, with, between the Nets and the Knicks, you know, the, the guys that do the games, whether it's Mike Breen on play-by-play TV and Ed Cohen on radio, and then in Brooklyn, you know, it's a combination of Ian Eagle, Ryan Rucco, and then on radio, you have Chris Carino. You know, they're so good at it. And the analysts that they have there are all good at the in-game analysts. And then to listen to some of the other guys, like there's a guy, Matt Pinto, from Oklahoma City. He's hilarious, you know, yes. because... He just sees everything through Oklahoma City, and Tommy's that way. Has always been that way with the Celtics, and that's the one great thing about having League Pass, is that you know getting to hear some of these broadcasters. It's uh, it, it's pretty enjoyable. A lot of them, a lot of them really make me laugh, and kind of like the being the homer. It, do, it doesn't bother me as it wants to actually get a kick out of it. To be honest. Yeah, what about the Utah radio guy? Wasn't he great? Wasn't David he great? Locke. He's terrific. he's terrific. I love him, and we've known him forever, yeah, right? Yeah, he's great. Uh, Craig Ackerman, I'll tell you what, Tom McGinnis in Philadelphia, he's mm. the radio guy. We play his calls. He's they're, they're they're just really funny, you know, without even trying to be funny. I mean, Matt Pinto's call, you should try to get his call from, you know, Paul George last year in the game where they got eliminated by Utah. That's from Paul George in the final seconds, pump faked. I think it was Donovan Mitchell who looked like he fouled him. They didn't call it. And Matt Pinto was losing his mind. It was just, it was priceless. I think it's just, you know, they're just living, you know, those guys are just living and dying with the team. They really like the fans. I think that's what, that, what it, to me, I get a kick out of it. it. And like I said, it doesn't bother me maybe as it once did. So I'm talking to Frank Isola, uh, the uh, longtime writer for the da- New York Daily News. Uh, you know him now from Around the Horn, PTI, and his uh, Sirius XM radio show on NBA 7 to 10 in the mornings with Brian Scalabrini. I, you know, I have a long friendship with Frank, and I, you know, I think it's a good segue here because 
I think about all the NBC regionals and all the places that you almost like, for instance, Ted Leonsis. I, I, I really enjoy him not as just an owner, but as a person. I think he's more down to earth. He's all about the bottom line, double bottom line. Like you got to be charitable just as much as you're getting rich. But he owns 30 percent of the NBC regional now. So I see these guys, the Wizards outsiders on at night, and I just want them to break down what was an awful performance by the Wizards. And they can't do it because 30 percent of the uh, company is owned by their boss. And so um, I think that happens all along. My question to you is, how is since we started covering you know, the Nets and then the Knicks for all those years, I know we, you know, I guess your Q rating goes up when you're a rider and your team's really famous and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're the Knicks when they mattered. That was kind of cool. People would talk to us from all over the country. But how has the media changed in your mind the most from when we used to cover uh, things on a daily basis? Well, I think I think the mistake kind of that the media's made is that it's all about access now. And I think the players are smart enough, especially with you know, them having their own access to putting their message out there on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, that everyone is is in this race for access and the players are kind of keeping score. So I think people go overboard to kind of protect who they're, and I think LeBron has kind of mastered it in a lot of ways. You know, like he's, he basically saying, you know, if you're either, you're either with me or you're against me, I think some organizations are like that. So I think there's been, I think there's act, even though like we're in kind of like the hot take world, so to speak, mm-hmm. but you know, the one thing is, you know, a lot of the people that are around the guys covering them every day, they tend to hold back a little bit. I don't say, I don't think you have to be nasty or take cheap shots, but you can be critical, have some type of critical analysis and still be fair to the person. But I, I, I don't know if that really exists anymore. I mean, think about when we covered Patrick Ewing, who, you know, and Patrick was viewed a little bit differently. It basically was, you better get to the, you know, conference finals, finals win a championship or else it's going to be considered a failure. But never was it like never did he reach the point where it's like I'm never talking to you guys again. And you know, and Patrick would get you know he would get criticized pretty heavily. Where I'm I'm not so sure that LeBron by people that have to see him all the time. I'm not talking about you know Skip Bayless being on TV or you know or other people. I'm a, but you know people that cover him regularly. I'm not so sure he gets like that same level of criticism. I mean, look at this. This is the way the story was covered when he had the, you know, the insulting remark on Instagram, when he said, you know, making that Jewish money or whatever it was, I thought he kind of, I thought he kind of got a pass off of that. I thought he kind of got a pass off of walking into the arena with the, when he was drinking wine. Yeah. I mean, that's acceptable. Mm. I mean, the league, the league is, the league is okay with that. The media is okay with that. So I I think that's how it's changed. I think I, I, as much as everyone likes to think, or everyone, because of social media, people can get nasty. I think the mainstream media has become, uh, they tolerate things that they used to not tolerate. I, I think that's a, I think that's a great point that I didn't even think about. Um, I mean, I, I would say in some ways, as great as Michael, I always I, I I'm of the opinion that um, if LeBron James somehow finds a way to get the Lakers to a title, and I don't care if they get a second superstar or he does it in the next three four years when his body hasn't completely broken down. I just, I have to, I saw Jordan in his prime. I saw him in his prime with the longevity and everything else. I don't care. I would, I'd take LeBron as my greatest of all time, but, um, but yeah, but but, but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing about LeBron. So in game four last year against uh, the Cavaliers, I think he took three shots, maybe three or four shots in the second half. He basically stopped competing. And then all of a sudden it became a hand issue. And he showed up at the press conference to show everybody that his hand had been hurting. All right. So it's one or the other. 
either you have to be critical of the way that he played in game four, where he, to me, I'm not going to say he gave up, but, you know, he was kind of out of it, or you have to criticize him for being selfish and punching the blackboard and causing the injury in the first place after game one. Either way, it can't be good for Lewis. You can't make him out to be a hero. Yeah. What went on, and I and that to me, I kind of felt that was kind of the tone of uh, of all the coverage. Yeah, See, my problem he, with yeah, no, my problem with my no, I I cut you off. It's your show. Go ahead. No, no, what were you gonna say? <laughs> um, it's I I kind of feel like oh, by the way, I I have to before I forget this, the punching the blackboard um, leads me to one of the great Frank Isola leads of all time. And tell me if I get it wrong. Um, during the Knicks' one playoff appearance in uh, the, this millennium, I think um, uh, Frank, the, Omari Stoudemire had punched some glass in Miami uh, after a tough cut loss. His hand, cut his hand and cut his hand really badly. Really cut his hand. badly. Yeah, and and the and the lead in the New York Daily News the next day was, it's not the heat, it's the stupidity. <laughs> no, I said it wasn't. It wasn't just the heat. It was the stupidity. I mean that's just tremendous. That's just tremendous. Why could you not one, have written one, one, 19 one, more one, 19 more years of good leads? Because that was the was only one say, I remember. I was going to say one out of 20 years ain't bad. <laughs> um, okay, real quickly, LeBron. This is my problem, and and this is personal. I saw you know I obviously went out there when I was with the New York Times to do a story on him in Akron. Um, when he was in high school still. I met his mom. I just saw like this kid was like the head of his own household at eight. He basically had to go to another family. Jordan didn't have like, I, I just look at where LeBron came from and the fact that he like sort of negotiated all this stuff by himself and uh, in many ways, like his life, not his contracts. And I just go, man, this guy came from nothing. And Jordan had a you know two-parent family in Wilmington and went to college and had a nurturing Dean Smith for a few years. I don't know, man. It's a complete bias. And maybe I like it because um, LeBron has stuck his chin out there regarding some of the social issues, whether you agree with him or not. I kind of I'm I'm admiring somebody that actually isn't worried about his corporate bottom line as much as the other guys were and will say something and actually use the use the game as a tool for something greater. I know it's kind of mamby pamby left wing stuff, but I want go ahead and take it and throw it in my face. No, I mean I think of course what he's done with his life is remarkable. You know what he came from and and what he's become, and he, you know, he never really has any things off the court that you know that he or his family or the league would be embarrassed by. You know, drinking wine, walking to work wasn't wasn't the greatest look. But I also think, too, about the athletes today speaking out. I think when Muhammad Ali did it and other guys like that, I think they had a lot more to lose. I think today we're kind of like encouraging the players to do that. So I don't know. Now, that's not to say that every player wants to do it. And, you know, it's still maybe, maybe they think it takes some kind of courage to do it. But I also think today I don't think there's as much to lose. Maybe you could even make the case there's something to gain uh, by doing it, if, you know, especially for a guy like LeBron. Anything that he says, I don't think it really it's going to impact him that much. I mean, you know, look, look, are, he, look what he look what he said on uh, the thing on Instagram. It didn't it didn't have uh, didn't create a ripple. I, I think it's I think it's a very good point. There at no point was John Carlos, Tommy Smith, Muhammad Ali, uh, even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Nike was never going to give them a million dollars for being a social activist like they did to Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick is if if he's really plays this right, 
he could he could make more money than he would in football. <laughs> I mean, but you're yeah. right. Like it's almost it, it's not saying anything bad. It's not saying anything wrong about them. Um, and I also think that you know, like Tim Thomas, the former goalie for the Boston Bruins, you know, he he really stuck his chin out there. He didn't go to the uh, he didn't go to the Bruins. Uh, um, White House celebration because Obama was the president and he was kind of a tea partier. Like everybody killed him for that. Well, no, he, it was still his. It was still his his conviction. That. You know, it was still his yeah, conviction. He, and so I, yeah, while I might got, disagree, yeah, yeah, but he got killed for that. I think now a lot of the, the teams are kind of celebrated for not going. Exactly, so it's, exactly. It's like it's like you can't have it both ways. If you don't like a guy's opinion, but he's still putting it out there. Uh, you still have to respect him for having it. So, um, and and I thought, you know, Bruce Bernstein, who we've brought up a couple of times in the show, made a great point. Michael Jordan had David Stern, who was much more about selling the business, uh, uh, measuring players' shorts. Um, the only, I remember he did actually was upset that Hoop Magazine airbrushed Allen Iverson's tattoos off him for a photo. But, for, and Stern was, Stern was very progressive, but he was also like, Damn it, we gotta look. We we cannot be the tats and tooth league at all. And Adam Silver, you know, LeBron James has Adam Silver, and Adam Silver's like, I want my players to be as real as they can possibly be, and I don't care. And we're gonna sell no, that. I, I, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. And it's it's just changing times. I think everything is viewed a little bit different differently now. And I think the players the players have a lot more power than they once had. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. I think. You know, this whole missing games nonsense started because the players probably have too much say in what goes on, yet they love showing us videos of them working out during the offseason. Just play during the season. How about that? That'll be the only video we need to see. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna finish this podcast because Frank's given us way more time than I even told him he, I was going to keep him for, and he's going to a Villanova-Seton Hall game. Shout out Gabby Isola. Uh, Gabrielle is his daughter. She She's attending Villanova. Is that correct? Yes, she is. Yeah, and she's uh, a heck of a soccer goalie. Hopefully she's attending classes. That's the important thing. Right. She's a heck of a soccer goalie. His son graduated from Northwestern. Um, given given your own uh, bootstrap North Babylon upbringings in Long Island, I did not <laughs> see your kids going to college at all. But they have, and it's amazing. But uh, um, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I will say this well, before. My, my, wife, my wife was smart, so that's where they get that from. This is true. This is true. Another shout out to Tanya Isola, by the way, a star at Manhattan College. They called her two minute rice because she could run the 800 in under two minutes. She still holds records there. It's still one of the great things. I have no idea why she married you because you have no athletic genes whatsoever. (laughs) uh, Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. You're such a wise ass. (laughs) Uh, Lastly, I want to go down memory lane. Uh, Frank and I, like in a, w- in a weird way, have a love-hate relationship with the Knicks. We love what the Knicks are to, uh, and to correct me if I'm wrong here, we love what the Knicks are to New York, what people remember from that 73 team, the se- uh, uh, 69-70 team. We love the whole Willis Reed. We, I mean, shoot, Frank and I had a book just balling, The Chaotic Rise of the New York Knicks. I think our parents bought it. But nonetheless, Walt Frazier and... Um, shoot, um, who else showed up at our book party? Walt Frazier and Marv Albert showed up at our book party. Yeah. Two of the, probably the greatest Nick announcer of all time, the greatest announcer of all time, and maybe the greatest Nick of all time, at least in the top three. And so, and and now we got these modern players. We came to really, Frank and I came to really um, not just 
uh, have affection for, but we really liked some of the players, whether it was Larry Johnson. We we found a everybody couldn't stand that Patrick Ewing could, wouldn't talk to them. Well, he would to us. He did. He wasn't. A, he had a lot of social anxiety, I think, from his days in college. And now the Knicks have become so bad on so many levels. Um, it's not even the on the court stuff. There's so much tone deafness off the court. You've been at the I left you in 2004. You've basically taken all of the heat. And I still remember the Deadspin article, how Frank Isola became the most hated man at Madison Square Garden. Just explain to people that you don't hate the franchise. You don't hate the you don't want to see them do poorly. But, you know, you also like you have a real disconnect between some of the people on top and some of the players you really like and cover. Well, I mean, you know, your job as a reporter is to cover what's happening. So, you know, and unfortunately for the Knicks, the NBA, uh, they keep score during games. And then after the games, they record the results of those games in something called the NBA standings. So I would just say this. Since, I think, 2001, they have the worst record in the NBA. The Knicks fans uh, okay with that? That's I mean, incredible. what else? I mean, you know, all, all you, you know, we don't, I always say this all the time, we don't dictate the coverage, the results do. And the results speak for themselves. I would say, you know, when we started covering, which really was 95, I, I came aboard 90, November of 95. So from 95 until 2000, or really 2001, the results spoke for themselves. You know, the, the team was very good. The coverage kind of reflected that. Now, we did hold them to a high standard. Now everyone wants to give them, you know, a medal for being 10 and 37. And that's like some great thing because that'll lead to a, a lottery pick, which, and then automatically they'll get good. So it's all, it's the sign of the times and it goes on now on a political level too. It's never about the truth. It's just about how it impacts you. And, you know, I mean, the Nick organization doesn't want to hear the truth, but the truth is worst record in the NBA since 2001. End of story. And I get it. I mean, how many times in the last 18 years we heard, but this time they got it right. This yeah. time they're going to do it. And maybe they will. But that doesn't mean we have to go along with it. Right now, it's just a marketing slogan until it happens. The one thing, Frank, I remember from the Deadspin article was this graph. And it speaks so much to where the media is here, where all the people that are supposed to help you are. The garden was a more pleasant place for Frank Isola when he was starting out. Patrick Ewing was the star. Jeff Van Gundy was the coach. And the Knicks made the playoffs every year. But not long before Van Gundy resigned in December 2001, the team instituted a media policy that required a PR official to be present for press interviews with players and coaches. The new rule was put in place in the first of what would become nine consecutive losing seasons. I don't want to say there's a correlation, but I do think when people are so consumed with and worried about what people are saying about them, they kind of lose sight of what the goal is, don't they? Yeah, I, I think they do. And they're not the only team that's like that. You know, the only thing about that article, people always like cite it. Like, you know, yeah. it, the, the way it was like written was everyone should feel sorry for me somehow. It's like, it's not about like how I get treated. I mean, it, it should be about like what the team is about. And there's, you know, they haven't been that, they haven't put out a good product for a number of years. You know, it made it sound like I was complaining about it. I was the guy was just asking me a question. I told him the way it was. I wasn't, you know. So I know that that story comes up all the time, but it makes it after a while. It makes it sound like I was seeking out someone to write a story about me so I could, you know, lodge my complaints, which wasn't the case at all. I get it. Like think about people who cover, you know, politics, cover the White House, people who you know be, that are sent overseas to cover, you know, wars and things like that. I think they have it a little bit tougher than I do. 
but um, if I, I think to a you know the larger point is to what you were saying. I think there are times when that seemed to be their only obsession, you know, cr- you know, trying to control the narrative when the narrative really should just be putting a good product out there. Like I said, the record speaks for itself. The last eighteen years, there's, there's, you know, you can make all the excuses you want. That's eighteen years, and they've only had three good seasons in those eighteen years. Frank Isola, son of a Brooklyn cop, um, has got some of the best nose for news in the business. He could have been a policeman because he's always been on the trail of some of the biggest, best stories regarding the team and other things. I, I just got to say, um, just share this before we go. Share this story about. Like here you are a covering preps um, at the New York Post. It's your first real journalism gig out of the University of Maryland. Um, you're back home in your own backyard. You feel so proud, and like you meet a young star player at the Garden who doesn't who needs a ride home. Tell, tell people that story because I think it'll say everything about who you are, but also about how like you you know you love this team before you covered them. Well, I was covering high school. And uh, Lincoln High School was a big team, and there was a kid on the team by the name of Norman Marbury, and he had a younger brother, Stephon Marbury. Everybody said, oh, he's going to be great, he's going to be great. But then again, you heard that every player in New York City was going to be great. So I was at the Garden one night. It was a Valentine's Day game. They were playing the Chicago Bulls. i got to get the date right. Could that have been like 89 or 90, sometime around there? But the Bulls were in town in the locker room after the game. The I was working at the Post at the time, the New York Post, and they sent me there to do like a sidebar. So I walk in the locker room after the game, and I see Stefan Marbury in there. So I'm like, what the heck are you doing in here? And somehow, like, he told me that, like, he somehow got to the game, kind of snuck in. He just, like, was pretty smart like that. But then when the game ended, he was in the press room with a guy named Rob Johnson, who's kind of connected with a lot of the high school kids. And I said, how are you getting home? How are you getting home? Because it was getting late. He said, could you drive me? And I said, no, no, no. I'm <laughs> Because I was, I had to go up to uh, the Bronx. I was, I didn't want to go to um, drive all the way to Coney Island. So then, like he was still kind of hanging around, and I said, "I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll drive you to like the, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, the more and more symbolic thing. I'll drive you to the Brooklyn Bridge, and I'll, uh, and you could, I'll pay for you to take a cab. But at the time, he didn't. He was young. I, I don't remember exactly what age he was, but he definitely wasn't in high school yet. And didn't he? he was, well, like, didn't he like, have a nickname like Juju or something? That was his brother, Norman. Oh, that's right. That's right. His brother brother was uh, Juju. So his, you know, he was upset. He didn't want to take the cab, so I ended up driving him to uh, to Coney Island. And it was funny because when I got out of the car, he like I waited for him to get inside, and he like turned around. He's like looking at me, and he runs back. He goes, "What are you waiting for?" I said, "I'm waiting for you to get inside." He goes, "Oh, okay." He says, "Hey, don't stop at any red lights," (laughs) which I think he was just trying to. (laughs) Like, you know, like kind of, you know, play with me a little bit. I I actually thought that was uh, pretty funny. And then when he got <laughs> traded to the Knicks, he had his press conference in Cleveland. And uh, that was like the first game he was going to play. So he has his press conference. And Mike Vaccaro, now working for the Post, it's all these years later. And Mike Vaccaro says, you know, this is you know, your first game with them is going to be in Cleveland. But, you know, tomorrow night it's Madison Square Garden. What's your What's your first memory of Madison Square Garden? And his answer was, "You should ask Frank Isola." I thought it was pretty. Uh, I thought <laughs> it was pretty is... good. And then, and then from that point on, he and I never had a good relationship again. Oh, no. I know like, that was that's the hard thing about this job is you 
you you like you have to put away your well for me anyway my bird and magic posters and sort of become you know I've, I've had to write some critical things about magic over the years and it, it almost like he got onto a conference call once and he goes yeah i saw what you wrote about me in the new york times i'm like no magic you're you're the guy who remember i i took you for a pedicab ride when i was 15 and like he was like yeah whoever you are i know who you are like it just and it, it kind of breaks your heart but you also know you you gotta if you're gonna keep your customers view you know watching and reading you gotta be honest and and you've been honest and you've walked a delicate line uh between uh what i would call being a professional and you know basically also there's a part of you that still has a real affection for the game tell people if the Knicks won it all and they did it right the right way and you and the people on top actually had respect for other human beings that that don't make as much money as them you'd be as happy as a clam wouldn't you hey i'm just going to cover it I, to me it doesn't if they win, they lose. It really doesn't impact me that much anymore. As you get older, that I, I understand the fans' passion. If, I always say, I always tell the fans that are crazy about it. I said, I hope they win for your sake. If it if it means that much to your happiness, you know, I, I hope that they win. But there definitely is a different vibe in the city when the Knicks when the Knicks are playing well. They're playing important games at Madison Square Garden. Big players are coming in. There's definitely a certain buzz. And then, you know, and like I said, they really haven't had that for 15 of the last 18 years. It's hard to believe it's been this long already. Yeah, it, it is. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Well, I got to let you go. You've been tremendous, giving us extra time. I could talk to you for another hour, shoot, about any about just our, our road travels. I'm not sure people want to hear that. That's for another show. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> thank you. That'll be, part, that'll be part two. Yeah, that'll be part, part two of Isola, which will happen in probably the summer before the show goes off the air. Uh, thank you for being part of the Wise Ass Show episode number three. Uh, Frank, could you, uh, oh, before we get going, can you say um, say whatever you want to say, by the way, on the end of it? <laughs> uh, XM NBA Radio every morning, Sirius 207, <laughs> XM86. How about that? That's what I want to say. And read The Athletic and watch many ESPN. Yeah, but, uh, I would say Frank Isola is um, a lead host of the starting lineup, which airs weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Brian Scalabrini sometimes joins him when he's not doing other gigs, and um, and and he's also is a he's he's part of the Athletic as a senior writer. He's I can't say enough about the guy. He's been a good friend and even a better reporter and and a and a, tre- and a tremendous father, which I know he values the most. Um, Next week, we will have somebody else on here that's much bigger than Frank Isola. So please pay, listen. Check all. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.